your Bibles. Let's uh, turn to Isaiah 55. We are in the middle of that, and we'll be in it probably one more week. You know, last week we, we looked at the, the invitation that Christ gives to us, the invitation he's calling for us. He sends out to those, he says, those who are thirsty, come and drink so that we can be satisfied. I want to I reread um, those first three verses for you to kind of keep it fresh in our mind as we, we move forward. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that, for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast love, sure love for David. This, this, this invitation is, is an invitation to, for us to sit at the table of the Lord, for us to sit with Him, so that everything on this table, everything that God is offering can satisfy us. And those who are poor, those who are destitute, those who are thirsty, those are the ones God is calling. And believe me, I don't know about you, but I think we're all thirsty. I think we're all poor. We're all needy. Thinking of, speaking of thirst, I'm thirsty. But it's also for those who are rich by the standards of this world, who are searching for those things that, that can never satisfy them, who are searching for things that, that on the surface seem like, oh, this, this is just what I need. You know, that, that, that new thing, that, that, that new item on Amazon that I have to have. That'll finally make me happy. Realizing that those things don't bring us happiness. They may for that moment. Until we have to pay for them. And realize that those things are all fleeting. This new covenant that God is pleading to make with us with our very souls. Because we are at risk. We're, 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 there's a battle that's going on in this world against good and evil. And believe me, good heavily outweighs evil. But he allows Satan to, to, to seem like he's winning. But in the long run, if you really look at everything that Satan has ever done, it all fits perfectly into what God wants to happen. I mean, that, that is the amazing thing about our God and our Father. is because everything that he does, Satan does, seems to like fall right into God's lap. That's just exactly what God wants to happen. He thought he was going to defeat Christ. Guess what? That's exactly what God wanted to happen. He wanted him to think that he was so that he would be crucified and our sins would be paid. But this new covenant that the blood of Jesus Christ secures for us is as a spot at the table of God. Now, as with most things, if you get a, a, an invitation in the mail, usually, there, especially if it's of a wedding, there might be this little card in there. What's that little card for? To send back. RSVP. What does RSVP stand for? Yeah. Respond, s'il vous plaît, please. I would say respond so very promptly so that we can figure out what we're going to need, right? There are many different ways you could interpret that. But we're supposed to RSVP for an invitation. So how do we do that? 
Jesus has sent us an invitation. How do we RSVP? And this is where I think response so very promptly is rather fitting for the invitation that comes from Christ. Because in verse 6 of Isaiah 55, here's what it says. It says, seek the Lord, which we've already been told, while he may be found. Oh, those are the profound words in there. Call upon him while he is near. God's calling everyone to seek him. Understand, this is not something that we can just... God calls us and we're done. No, we have to take action. You have to send your card back in or else you're going to get to the wedding and they're going to say, uh, we didn't know you were going to be here. You know, you get that table over there by the kitchen where the door opens and hits your back of your chair all the time. You know. God says, you need to respond to me. You need to RSVP. So he's calling us to seek him. And and in doing so, when we seek him, our hearts need to yearn and desire that which we do not have on our own. (laughs) If you you get an invitation to a party and and you're not responding because you want to go, then you've got a problem because maybe you're going for the wrong reason. (laughs) But our hearts need to yearn and to desire to seek God. An answer involves focusing our lives on Christ and Christ alone. Not seeking after all those other things of the world. We need to, our lives need to reflect that we are, have a desire to be in God's presence. We respond to the invitation and we respond by seeking Him, by responding, by giving our lives to Him and our lives reflecting that God is the most important thing in our lives. I believe we have a problem in this world today. We have a problem in the church today. We don't have enough people who are sold out for Christ. And I don't care if you're a brand new believer. In fact, I believe the young brand new believers are probably more sold out than the old time believers. And believe me, I'm in the class of the old time believers. I'm trying to find places in my life where I'm not sold out to Christ and dealing with it. It's not a salvation issue either. It's, it's, I'm selling myself out to Christ because of what he did for me. It's a response to my salvation. It's a way to tell whether or not I'm saved or not. Is, is God the most important thing in my life? Is he more important than my job? Is he more important than my family? Is that the most important thing? But we have to focus our lives on Christ. That's how we respond to the invitation. We have to want it above everything else. See, if we truly want to seek God, if our hearts are truly yearning, we're not going to dawdle. We're not going to sit here and say, well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll think about it till next week. No, you won't. You'll probably forget about it, and things in this world are going to distract you, and you won't even do it. I'm I'm an expert at that. I'm an expert saying I'm going to take care of that tomorrow. Guess what happens when tomorrow comes? Doesn't happen. And things start piling up, and then the good, the best things get left to the side because I got to get all this other stuff done. It's, it's that same thing with Christ. We need to respond to Him immediately, and we need to sacrifice. We need to give everything up to Him. We got to get rid of everything that's between us. You know, as the deer panteth for the water. I mean, a deer is thirsty. It wants water. It's going to get do everything it can to get to the water. So my soul longeth after Thee. Does it? I, I sing this song, I have to ask myself sometimes, does my soul long for God? It should. 
Everything between us should be gone. And when we, when we do this, when we respond to him, when we respond to this invitation, and we're reading God's word, we don't backtalk. My kids know about backtalking, don't we? No, they're going to shake their head no. I know about backtalking. I backtalk my parents all the time. Don't much anymore. I do a little bit. But we don't, we don't argue with God and his word. His word is his word. It's true. We have no right to backtalk. We have no right to say, well, I don't want to believe it. Good for thee, but not for me. Right? That's what we try to say. But seeking means a complete realignment of our lives. Now, if you know anything about cars, what happens when a wheel gets out of alignment? Okay? No, normally you can't, don't really notice it too much. I've watched, but I've watched some cars that the car is going this way, but the body is going this way. Okay? And what does it do to the tires when it's out of alignment? It wears them unevenly. Well, that's the same thing. When you're not aligned with God, you may be thinking you're going this way, or you're going this way, but you're going this way. And your wheels are getting worn in the wrong places. You have to take it in, and they have to realign all four wheels. So you're, And that's what we need to do with our lives. God is near us now. We're lucky. We live in a time where God is near. It may not seem like it, but it's usually not him who's walked away. It's us, and we're ignoring him. He's still right there. We just ignore him. He's not this some aloof God who sits up in the heavens in the clouds just waiting for us to, you know, decide to come to him or waiting for us to do something wrong. He's always available. God does not have office hours. He is not only available on Sunday mornings. He's available at all times. His desire for us is to call to him at all times. So that when we do, he comes and he feels even closer to us. But see, in order for that to happen, we have to reject ourselves. And I, I think that's probably, that's probably the hardest thing for us to do. I think that, you know, I could reject all the things of this world. But the problem comes down when I have to reject myself. That's the hard one. Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And that term rubbish is not a nice word. It's dung. It's garbage. It's really bad garbage. It's not the kind you find in the dump. It's the kind you find in the septic system. In order that I may gain Christ. That's what the Greek word means. See, if we seek him, while he can be found, you think about this, this is the profoundness of that. That means that there is a threat that a time is coming where he cannot be found. Now there's something to shake your heart up a little bit. You and I are lucky. We can call on him now because he is there. But the time is coming when he will no longer be able to be sought and he will no longer be found. There's this window of opportunity 
that we have that's implied for us to call in his name. And that window is closing. The Bible teaches that there is never a day before death that we cannot seek God and find him in repentance. There's always, before we die, there's always that time. The thief on the cross, he probably had lived his whole life and probably wasn't a thief, he was a rebel, but that doesn't matter. The point is, he was a sinner. And the thief on the cross is sitting there and he tells the other thief, don't talk, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Christ and says, Lord, remember me when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. That man was about to die. And it didn't matter. Because Christ, he was able to call on the Lord right before he died. Before death, there's no day that we can't call upon him. But once death comes, there's no possibility of repentance, no matter what the Pope says. You cannot pray people out of purgatory. There is no purgatory, by the way. Well, that's a whole other sermon, but that's okay. The writer of Hebrews tells us that, and just as it is appointed for man to die, everybody is appointed to die, though there are a few exceptions, once, to die once, and after that comes judgment. At death, those of us that believe in Christ, who put our trust in Christ, will spend eternity with him, but those who die apart from believing in Jesus Christ will spend eternity separated from him in hell. You know that what the latest push is from uh, worldly thinking is to eliminate hell. There is no hell. That's what they'll tell you. Why? If there's no hell, then you don't have nothing to worry about. You can do whatever you want because everybody gets to heaven. Huh. That's not what my Bible says. See, for those who, who die apart from Christ, their eternity will be spent in a place that they are completely separated because they rejected the forgiveness and the grace that God has offered. They did not RSVP to the invitation. They got the invitation. They were on the list. There's books in heaven that the angels write in. The book of life is the one we hear about most often. Those are the ones, people who have RSVP'd, their names. There's another book that has a list of everybody who's ever been born, and their name has been transferred over to here. But it's, you know, if your name's not in that book, you're still over here in the other book of the non-believers. At death, there is no rescue and no deliverance if you're not a believer. Their opportunity has been gone, it's passed, it's over. But see, this is the amazing wonder of the gospel. God, in his grace, loved us so much that he gave us repentance, made it possible for us to repent before we die. No matter where we find ourselves in our lives. Now, hopefully, more people are finding Christ and seeking Him before, right, than right before they die. We don't, all, we don't want a huge amount of deathbed confessions because what a wasted life. How much more could have been done for Christ if you had just answered earlier? If we seek Christ, we will find Him if we seek Him with a repentant heart. It can't just be because we're in a, a tough situation. Oh, Lord, please save me. That's not it. Our hearts have to be at a place where we truly are repentant of our lives and what we've done to it. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. This is God speaking. And those who seek me diligently find me. And when we seek him, 
diligently with our hearts yearning and desiring to be his children and to be repentant, he draws near to us. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, means repent. He doesn't just mean wash your hands, you know, as we do with the kids when you come in from outside, wash your hands before you come to the table. That's not what it's about. It's about not just washing hands. Remember, remember when Peter was, uh, they were in the upper room. They were, they were celebrating Passover and Jesus has just washed their feet. And he said, oh no, Lord, not me. You can't wash my feet. And, and Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no place with me in my kingdom. And what does Peter say? He says, oh Lord, wash my whole body. Washing our hands is just a symbol of cleansing yourself from your sins by repenting in Christ. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And how does God draw near? Well, first of all, he draws near through his word. In Deuteronomy 30, it says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. It's not hard. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it, it to us, that we may hear it and do it. He's saying, you don't, you don't need to go to heaven to get what I got for you. Neither is beyond the sea that they should say, who will go over to the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. He says, here is it says, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Hmm. The word is very near us today. There are Bibles everywhere. You cannot go, well, there are places you can't go where there's not a Bible, but there, it's, our Bibles are very much readily available. Now, the day may come when they're not. But even so, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, well, we, I, God doesn't say, you know, well, go look at the tablets that I gave Moses. He's saying, no, the word is very near you. It is on your mouth, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart so that you can do it. Write your words upon my heart that I might not sin against thee. God writes his words on our hearts. We know what's right. We need to do it. He draws near through us by the proclamation of his word. And as we hear his word, we understand that he is near to us, speaking directly to our hearts. You talk to somebody who repents, you say, why, you know, how did you, I love to listen to people's repentance stories. I say, how did, how did it happen? I just felt... Something in my heart was telling me that God was calling me and that I was wrong and that I needed to repent. That's God, you know, putting his words into us. We also draw near to God through Jesus Christ. In Matthew, Mary is told to call Jesus' name what? Emmanuel. Now, where in Scripture do you hear somebody else calling Jesus Emmanuel? Does anybody, you know, does his brothers come up to him? Does James come up to him and say, hey, Emmanuel? No, he calls him Yehoshua, or Yeshua, which is Joshua, which is what his name was. So why would Mary be told to call his name Emmanuel? Well, you've got to know what Emmanuel means. It means God is with us, or God is near to us. Jesus was God in the flesh, coming down to us. Near to us, so we, we we he draws near to us by through, we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle John wrote, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen His glory. Glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we draw near by, by reading His Word. And we draw near by seeing Christ and experiencing Christ. And we also draw near to God through the Holy Spirit who is working in the world to take the message of Christ into the Bible of the Word of God and press it into our hearts, into those of lost people, in order to save them from their sins. The Holy Spirit is actively working in us and around us, and we can experience God through what He's doing. Hmm, that's interesting. we got God the Father, God the Son, and God's Word, which is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We can experience God the Father through all those things, through His Word, through Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also encourages us and carries us through these times in our lives when we feel like we can no longer go on. I've had those times, I just can't make it anymore. And I cry out to God, and the Holy Spirit encourages me. Sometimes it's with one word, wait, which is, I hate that word, hey, wait. But you know what? I love that word. Especially when it comes from God, because God says, wait, I have this. I'm taking care of it. You just need to be patient and keep your hands out of it, because I'm going to take care of it. I'm a fixer. I love fixing things. God says, no, not this one. I will take care of it. And he did. You know, the great thing about God how God interacts, how He draws near to us, is that He allows you and I also to be part of that. He allows us to minister to those. Number one, He allows us to minister to those who are His, those who are His believers. We can love each other. We can do things for each other. Through the Holy Spirit, encouraging us and carrying us through and helping us do these things for other people. He can also help us, have us be part of it when we encourage those who are not His. This week we went, a group of us went over to Huntington to Pastor Jimmy's kitchen and we helped serve meals to people. And you think, well, that's no big deal. Well, these, there's one guy there who lives under a bridge. That's where he lives. And he comes in twice a day to get a meal. And we were able to smile. We were able to love on them. Did we change their lives? Probably not. A great amount, but we did show them the love of Christ. And our kids, I'll be honest with you, our kids showed them the love of Christ amazingly. I was so impressed by how well our kids did, did what they did. They loved serving. And we're going to go over again. So I, I challenge you, when the time comes, I'll let everybody know. I wanted to go at least once with a smaller group. When we do it again, I'll let you know. We're going to probably make it a regular thing to go over and serve people who are less fortunate and who need to see Christ's love in other people. The Holy Spirit will convict us to do those things, to, to help others. The Holy Spirit will convict us that when we walk off of the path that we're supposed to be on, He draws us back on to stay on the path of Christ. And we need to respond to this invitation. And we do this by taking a step of repenting from our wickedness and turning to God. And believe me, just because I'm a believer in Christ doesn't mean I don't have to don't have to I don't have to uh, repent of the wickedness that's in my life. It's still there. I'm fighting with it. Paul talks about that. What I want to do, I don't do. What I should what I, wanna, what I don't want to do, I do. What I shouldn't do, what should do, I don't want to do. Okay? This whole idea of I want to do things. I want to do the right thing. I know what I need to do, but it's that sin limit in me 
that I keep struggling with. And we'll struggle with that for our whole lives. But the grace and mercy of God allows us to overcome that because he's always there providing for that. That's how we draw close to God. Now, the first part of Isaiah 55, 7 tells us, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts. See, the reason that you and I are thirsty, whether we know it or not, is because we are wicked. There is no one who is good. I hear it constantly in the world today. Well, he's a good person. I always correct him. I'm sorry. No one is good. No one but the Father is good. We are all wicked, evil people. Get over it. Embrace it. Okay? So we live in a fallen world. That's what we are the result of our world. But the amazing thing is I don't have to stay that way. I can get out of that pattern by repenting and following Christ. Adjustments need to be made. And guess what? Our time is limited because there's only a certain amount of time where God will be found. Right now the invitation is wide open. But one day, it's either going to be closed, it's going to be closed at your death, or it's going to be closed at the second coming of Christ. One of the two. You know, we have a tendency to so easily tolerate sin in our lives. See, that's the, that's the danger of cancer. The problem with cancer, with most cancer, is you, you don't really know you even have it at first. It's just there. In reality, cancer is nothing more than your cells um, mutating in a way that is not right. I mean, we've been, Beth and I have been learning a lot more about our, our cells and how they work. And cancer is not something that usually comes in from the outside, but it's your own body that gets corrupted. Which is amazing, it's, you got to understand that sin is a cancer in our lives that we need to eliminate. We need to keep it at bay. We need to get it out of our lives. It's, we are wicked. We need to make time. We need time to make adjustments. We, we easily tolerate, even within the church, we find it too easy to maintain a superficial, technical righteousness. I, I, and I'm saying this because I see it in my own life. I find it too easy to act righteous which in reality is nothing more than being self-righteous. And I think that the reality that I'm seeing today is that we've lost that radical edge of real Christianity. And I don't mean radical like we're going to go out with <laughs> we're going to go out with guns and knives and we're going to go crazy. No, I mean radical as the radical change that it makes in our lives. Where people can see it. I think the church today is struggling with that because I don't think there's enough of that. There's, it's there, believe me, it's there. But it's not, in the larger churches, it's not as common. True faithful belief in Christ is counter to our ingrained likes and dislikes. Okay? When we have true faith, it, it goes against what we normally in our human my mentality, what we like, what we dislike. Pure faith in Jesus Christ requires nothing less than a transformation that goes way beyond the surface, way beyond the way we look, to the very actions at the core of our heart. That's what it's about. That's why I say it, it, things need to change inside of us. We cannot just make a decision for Christ, say a prayer, and then think that we're in. We can't just tweak our American ways and our American thoughts. 
We can't just join a church because it won't challenge our selfish lifestyle and think that we're saved. Being nice, harmless, church-going people, void of repentance and submission, with no forsaking of our selfish selves, and not pursuing Christ, taught off with a glaze of religious sentimentality on Sunday mornings is not what God wants from us or for us. I had to read that because I put so much in there. Being nice. And all these things sound great, don't they? Being nice and harmless, isn't it good? Church, It's good to go to church. Void of repentance and submission. Oh, now we got a problem. With no forsaking of our selfish selves or not pursuing Christ, topped off with the glaze of religious sentimentality. Going through the motions. I think today the church is so sure of itself that we no longer have any room for the openness of God. And I don't mean openness to the things of this world. I mean open us to God is wide open. Come and get to know him. It'll change your life. You will not live the same life the world does. That's the openness I'm talking about. We've drifted away from the gospel. And our time to get back is very short. There's only one answer to our current condition. As people and as a church... And this path is a radical one in our post-Christian world today. Yes, we are living in a post-Christian world. The second part of Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let him return to the Lord. Hmm. I thought that's kind of interesting. It says return. It doesn't say let him come to the Lord. It says let him return to the Lord, which means he was there at one time that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God is calling for us to be overhauled. He wants to change our lives and our church to be overhauled completely. Notice, I did not say that we have to change ourselves. He's not wanting us to change our actions because actions mean nothing if the heart is still the same. If I'm still dark inside and yet I'm doing light things, I'm still dark. And sooner or later that darkness is going to take over. I mean, I can, be, I can be as dark as anybody for fun. I can be extremely dark. But that can't be who I am. Because I find my identity in Christ, in Christ alone. That's my problem with the Enneagram. I've, I've talked to you a little bit about that. If you really want to know more about the Enneagram, there's a video on my website, on our, our church website, or on our YouTube page, and our Rumble page, all about the Enneagram. I'm getting ready to make another one because I think it's a problem that's in our denomination, in our church. But the problem with that is that you find your identity in that instead of your identity in Christ. And in Christ, my identity is the fruit of the Spirit. And if my identity is in some number that this this that was written by demons, by written by spirits, to determine what this number was, if that's where I find my identity, then my identity is not in the, the fruit of the Spirit. I won't have the fruit of the Spirit. I think that's the problem in some of our bigger churches, in our denomination today. I can say that without fear of retribution because I don't think they've ever, they'll ever listen to my sermons. I don't think they ever have. Because if I did, I'd probably get a phone call because some of the things I've said. So when we call out to God, one of the first things that happens to us is that we're awakened that something in our life is just not right. You know that feeling. Something just, just doesn't seem right about this. So we're awakened to that fact. And if, and, and if we refuse to give that up, God shows us 
what it's going to do to us, it makes us even more uncomfortable. Because what happens is if we don't give that up, ultimately we're not, we're not going to be we, we, we're not going to be able to respond. We're not going to want to respond. The desire of our heart is not for God, but for that thing. So we can no longer examine ourselves from the world's perspective, engage ourselves based upon the world. That's, and I want to be honest with you, that's an extremely difficult thing to do for a pastor. I look at, I look at these churches, and there are churches in our area. There are churches close to us in our denomination. A thousand people. And I'm thinking, why? Why do we have 40? Why do we have 45? And they have 1,000 preaching the same gospel. And then I'm thinking, maybe we're not preaching the same gospel. Why? But see, looking at success from that position, that's where I have to catch myself and say, no, wait a minute, that's the world's perspective. That's the world's perspective of that. And I've seen how churches that are struggling, big and small, chew up people, not just pastors, they chew up people and spit them out. We can't look at the world and what the world says is a success and say it's a success because anybody looks at Christ, now wait a minute, you, you mean the leader, the, the, the one you base your religion on, your, your faith on, was killed? Well, that doesn't seem like much of a, much of a, a leader. And you're like, well, wait a minute, though. But see, he rose again. Oh, oh, okay. How can you prove that? Well, then we go into the whole idea of how can we prove that Christ rose? When then we there, there are ways to do it. But we can't examine ourselves by what the world says is success. We must place ourselves under God's scrutiny. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. Hmm. They are darkened. Remember, I talk about darkness. In their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. You talk to somebody about Christ, they say, oh, that's just, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, they're ignorant. Now, I don't suggest telling them that they're ignorant because that's not exactly the way to win them out of love. But you can understand that they're ignorant. And ignorant doesn't mean they're stupid. No, ignorant means they're misinformed. They haven't seen the truth. So you have to work on sharing the truth with them. You have to work harder at sharing the truth with them. Because their hard, heart is hardened. It need, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit to soften their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's the world today. But that is not the way you learned Christ. There's an exclamation point after that. That is not the way you learned Christ. That's what it's like. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus, assuming that you actually heard the truth and believe it. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
So God there is calling us to be reformed in our entire lives and in our church with a newness that only comes from him. We could, we could gussy up this church. We could make this church look like the Taj Mahal, if you know what that is. We can make it look like the most beautiful palace in the world. But you know what? If we don't have Christ in here, if we're not preaching Christ, it is nothing but a tomb. And if we're not believers whose lives have changed and been reformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are nothing but dead people walking. Even if we come in here to this palace and proclaim that we're worshiping God. I'm going to share with you a verse that's not in your handout. It came to me as I was going through and putting together the PowerPoint. I'm like, I've got to put this in here. Remember I said, the newness only comes through Christ. It says, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a verse I think we need to put on our refrigerators, in our cars, everywhere, to remind ourselves, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I lead is not in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. We have fallen short of his standards, and we're not living proof of the power of the gospel and the power of his grace. So we have to accept his call. We have to accept it with great courage. It's not an easy thing to do. Becoming a Christian, a true, sold-out believer in Christ, is not easy. It's going to be difficult. The world is going to come against you. You have painted a target on yourself. And if you think, because you've been a believer for so much of your life, that you don't have a target on your back because Satan is lulling you into a fact that he didn't think, makes you think that he's not going to bother you, just wait. It's coming. But understand we've, that those things that happen are not because God allows them to happen so that we will be strengthened and they'll help us learn and help us grow. Again, Satan doing what he thinks what he, he's getting away with actually falls right into God's plan for us. So we have to humbly accept his call with great courage based upon his grace, the repentance, and accept his invitation. So why the urgency? Remember it said, it says, while he may be found. As if verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's this huge gap between the way we think and the way God thinks. Because we see now, we see our moments, we see our past, we can't see the future. God sees past, present, future all things. God knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that's not going to happen. If I had time, I'd share with you with his interaction with David, where that's proven. He knows what could, what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. But there's this gap. We every time find it hard to see the sin in our lives. We get so wrapped up in the process of our daily lives, we, we don't see the sin. But God sees us. He sees our sins. He sees the way out. He sees the path we're on. He sees what's in the future. We can't defend where we're standing when we're standing in our sins. And 1 John 1 5 says, This is the message that we've heard from me, from him, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him no darkness at all. He sees everything. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that there's no darkness in us? No, I can't. 
Because if I don't keep it at bay, if I don't keep overcoming the temptation, the darkness will come out. And it will manifest itself in a way that I don't like. And neither would you. If we're honest, we can say, I'm not full of light. In my humanness, but praise be to God, I have a Christ who died for me, and a Holy Spirit who comes in and lives with me, who abides in me, who tabernacles with me, and His light shines, can shine through me. God is holy, His thoughts are holy, His actions are different than ours. He thinks at a very different level than we do. This is why we must repent, because God is holy and high and lifted up. So this connects us back to God's grace and God's mercy. God forgives better than we do. Oh, I'm a forgiving person. Are you? Not when compared to God. Because while God, while we were still sinners, God forgave us. He com- forgives completely. He forgets, forgets our sins ultimately. Throw far, puts them farther than the east is from the west. You and I, we hold grudges. We bitterly remember those who've hurt us years later. We all have people in our past who've hurt us. And when their names come up, I got, I got people, I remember people from elementary school and high school and middle school that hurt me. And when their names come up, when I think about them in my mind, you know what my first human response is? I wish I could go back and I know, knew then, if I knew then what I know now. And I'd stand, I'd give them what for. Right? No. No. If I met them today... I'd tell them I'm, I forgive them for what the, how they acted and how they treated. I'd have to. I'd have to. We may have been bullied at school or a family member who did something that scarred us deeply with an insult or a ruthless action. We might say we've forgiven them, but the truth is we hold that grudge in our hearts. We hang on to the hurt. We refuse to let it go. That's why a lot of people have to go to counseling because of the hurt people have done to them. They can't let it go by themselves. They have to hang on to it. No, you've got to let it go, and you've got to give it up to Christ. But this isn't how God is. The prophet Micah told us in Micah 7, he says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He's saying, you forgive even for a small part of your inheritance, the remnant, the small amount that's left over. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. If you truly delight in love, you're not going to hang on to your anger. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So God is excellent at forgiving, and he takes great delight in doing so. If we seek him, he's going to abundantly pardon us. But we need to seek him while he can be found, and the time is now. While the gospel is being proclaimed, and Jesus is proclaimed as Savior, this is the time. The Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of people. He's moving in our lives. This is the time. God is seeking us now. We need to seek him. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 says, Working together with him, Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, today. 
Do you know? Do you know if tomorrow you're going to be alive? Do you know if tonight you're going to be alive? Do you know if you're going to walk out of this church alive? I know, it's a morbid thing to think about, but we all could die in an instant. Nobody knows when they're going to die. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 20, 30, 40 years from now. I can't tell when I'm going to die. That's why James tells us in James 4, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Now, I'm not trying to be over dramatic here. But when we know that we can die suddenly, we know that Christ can return at any time. But if we hear the gospel and we reject it, then our hearts are hardened. And it's going to be harder for us to to allow our hearts to be softened. If we hear the gospel rejected, our hearts are hardened, and and if we proclaim to be believers in Christ, and yet our lives don't reflect the gospel, and we refuse to change those ways, we refuse to do what we're supposed to do and live the lives we need to live, and we continue to deceive, be deceived, by, and our hearts will be hardened also. And tomorrow may be too late. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. And this is for all of us. If we seek him, if we hear him speaking through his word, if we experience him through Christ and what Christ did on the cross and what Christ did in his life and the things he said, if we experience Him through the Holy Spirit, if we draw near to Him through the, the workings of the Holy Spirit, speaking to our hearts, drawing us, if, if, we, are, if we, get closer to the, we get closer to God by helping each other and by helping those who are needy, don't harden your heart. Soften it. God's going to be calling. We need to draw close to Him. Because today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.